The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good morning again. So welcome to um, another uh, BS Buddhist Society of Victoria um, and also Newbury Buddhist Monastery Dhamma Talker on Sunday morning. Yeah, so we've been giving a series of Dharma talk. Every Sunday, we are missing a, a, a session. So this week is my turn to give a talk, and I'll be going to retreat next week. So uh, yeah, so this will be my, my talk before I start my retreat. Okay, I'd like to introduce myself. If you don't know who I am, my name is um, Bante Chunda, and I was born in Malaysia, but I migrated to uh, Australia about over 20 years ago. No, actually, it's even longer than that, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wasn't born a Buddhist. I was uh, basically um, a free thinker. Mm -hmm. I was working up the mines. Uh, when where I was growing up, mm. so um, yeah, so I was ordained with Ajahn Brown, and this is probably my eleven years, eleven or twelve years as a monastic, roughly twelve years as a monastic. Mm. Okay, so yeah, so I'll introduce myself. So I'm Pante Chunda, and um, I'm ordained with Ajahn Brown. Okay, and I've been coming here supporting Newbury Buddhist Monastery yeah, for roughly five years. Yeah. Okay, so now we can start the um, Dharma talk. Yeah. Uh, let's give a quick blessing. Namo Dasa Bhagavatu Alatu Sama Samputasa. Namo Dasa Bhagavatu Alatu Sama Samputasa. Namo Dasa Bhagavatu Hala to Sama Sambuddhasa. Yeah, I like to keep the chanting short because um, I'm not in Bodhiyana Monastery. I'm basically considered one of the worst chanters in the monastery because um, I think when I moved into um, Australia, I never really did my study well because um, there was too many. Um, Asian student in my class uh, and I was having difficulty learning uh, so English was always a struggle for me and um, even learning Pali uh, and um, and doing student study was also double <laughs> double suffering for me uh, because my read my reading and, and writing uh, was is pretty um, below standard uh, and um, yeah even learning English was a struggle and uh, learning Pali was even the uh, biggest struggle. Uh, it's like learning another language. Uh. So I'd like to ask for my policy uh, if um, I, I'm not, not the best chanter uh, in, in the monastery. Okay. Mm. So this Dhamma talk, uh, I just like to reflect how the world is going and uh, what we can do. Uh, in terms by living in this world uh, and dealing with 
just the um, the problem that arise in this world uh, and how to um, see it through with wisdom uh, and not get caught up with it. Uh. So, yeah, I think living in the monastery is, is actually very peaceful and quite serene uh, compared to what's happening out there in the world. Uh. And uh, being a monastic, uh, sometimes we have um, all monastery these days, we have internet connection uh, so we can connect with our supporters, uh, monastic duties, responsibility, uh, working with um, our committee members and our supporters and with um, just anything to do with monastic uh, business, uh, training, teaching and practice. So we're all connected on the internet. So even the monastery is very calm and peaceful. Um, is because due to the internet connection, uh, we can really see what's happening in the world uh, these days. And it's quite interesting uh, to see what's happening in the world. Uh, well, it's like, it does change a lot. Uh, like, it's, the more I look at um, what's happening in the world, I realize it's a worldwide problem. So, um, yeah, and there's so much, um, I would say, um, with the coronavirus, you got the worldwide recession. You got um, a lot of protests uh, for uh, for justice against uh, abusive behaviors, and you, then you you got uh, disasters, and some in Middle East you got some wars that's happening, and you have climate change. Uh, so um, so sometimes it's, it's quite depressing, uh, and it does cause a, a, quite a bit of anxiety, confusion, chaos, turmoil, and very uncertainty uh, in the world these days. Uh, we're just a problem with the world. But as for Buddhist practitioner, we, we realize all these problems do arise uh, from every human being's heart, uh, as long as we are not enlightened and we are just a normal, ordinary being, uh, an not an, an enlightened person. Uh, uh, the farmers will always come up in the minds. So greed, hatred, delusion, delusion is basically ego. That will arise in people's heart and mind. So it's, it's quite normal because all of us, uh, since we're young and we grew up, we have been conditioned to, um, to basically work hard, to, um, to study hard, to strive for what we want, to have a good career, um, wealth, um, yeah, just to get things, get, get ahead la, in the world. La. So, yeah, so it's quite, everyone is, is striving to, um, to improve and get material wealth. La. And sometimes when that's developed too much yeah, and we get too caught with it, then we can lose touch of developing our inner qualities. Uh. So, uh, inner qualities, uh, um, basically, the opposite of greed la, is being generous, uh, being charity, giving, and helping others. So that is one way of overcoming um, greed. And hatred is quite easy. It's to develop loving kindness, compassion, respect, and caring for one another. So that's one way of um, develop, developing, um, overcoming hatred. And delusion and ego, that, that's very hard. It's hard to see that because we always want to improve ourselves. So the opposite of um, delusion and ego is basically to be humble, 
to be selfless and less eagerness. Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, so yeah, so sometimes when you look at the world and see what's happening, yeah, it is quite sometimes quite disappointing yeah, how things are like. But these are basically just the world. The world is like that and uh, we can't change it as long as there's greed, hatred and delusion. There'll always be a problem uh, in, in this world. Uh. Quite as for monastic, we quite removed from what's happening in the world. Like monastic life is actually quite peaceful and um, quite simple, and uh, we don't get caught up with too many things that's happening in the world. I mean, sometimes the the world will come in to the monastery, but due to the restriction now, um, we don't get a lot of um, visiting guests to come and stay here. Because of the restriction of the lockdown, uh, we don't allow any guests to come and stay here yeah, because it's government policy. Yeah. So it's just for the, for the protection of everyone. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it's quite, quite. This has been a very peaceful um, range retreat while for three months uh, because we don't have any um, Dana people coming in or for Dana to Sangula. So um, I remember last year we get up to maybe. Um, 10 to 50 people on the weekdays and the weekend, uh, maybe from uh, 20 to uh, even up to over 100. Uh. So there's a lot of people coming in uh, to the monastery of Adana uh, and to talk to the monks. Uh, and you see, I want our services to just to give Dharma talks and ask for and give advice to um, our lay supporters to deal with just, um, just the problem in family life uh, or with the world. Uh. So sometimes, it's the only interaction uh, that we have with lay people uh, and they bring almost sometimes bring to us about the, the worldly problems. Uh. Mm. The monastery is, is quite peaceful. Uh. Uh, every morning when I wake up and I come up, open my window. Uh, it's very nice to see the um the kangaroos. The kangaroos there's a lot of kangaroos in the monastery. And every year I notice there's more and more kangaroos. Uh. Sometimes you have up to like um, a group of maybe 80 to over 100 kangaroos in the monastery. So they are coming into the monastery quite often. But as you know, the monastery is a very safe environment to be in. There's plenty of grass for them to eat. And it's quite safe uh, because if, they're out, if they move outside the monastery, yeah, um, they can be shot by, um, by people out in, out in the forest uh, or even by the farmers. Uh. So in the monastery, yeah, it's a very safe place. Uh, to be for the kangaroo to be here. Yeah. Mm. So this is quite interesting, yeah. Because when you wake up in the morning, you look out the window, you see the kangaroos. Uh, when it's hot day, they're there. When it's uh, raining and a lot of storm, they're still out there in the rain. And uh, when it's a lot of wind, they're out there. Um, thunderstorm, they're out there too. And when it's snowing, yeah, they're out there for a while. Yeah, and they move down in, uh, into the forest. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, you don't, you don't, we don't see the 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 kangaroos, uh, or the wombats, and the birds complaining uh, out there. Uh, they're not running around, um, running a mark or having a riot. Uh, they just they just basically just um, um, just feeding and um, just just doing their own thing. Uh. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's quite serene living in the monastery. Uh. I mean, the only time I see problem with with the kangaroos. Uh, 
uh, mainly, mainly the male, <coughs> male kangaroos. Sometimes male kangaroos just fight one another uh, over the female. Uh, and if the <coughs> male kangaroos, they tend to fight too much. Uh, if they, they get tired, uh, sometimes they can um, get exhausted. Uh, and sometimes we do find like maybe um, a, a fully grown uh, male kangaroo that's just uh, died uh, of exhaustion, uh, been exhausted, fighting too much. Uh, so um, I think this year we, we found one, one um, pretty healthy and young male kangaroo. It's just for some reason it's just died. Yeah. So I expect that it was just basically just fighting with the other male kangaroo too much. Yeah. Mm. It was quite, quite nice in the monastery. You see the kangaroos, you see the wombats, and the wombats come quite close to my kuti. Same with the kangaroos. And the eagle. Is, I think this is one of the only monasteries I've seen so many Westdale eagles and they are very majestic animals they soar through the, the sky so quietly and beautiful and it's quite nice just to um, watch the eagles soaring up in the sky above the monastery um, and sometimes they stay in the monastery too long uh, the magpie will chase after them and chase them away and also it's nice to see the forest. Uh, yep. It's very calm and peaceful. Uh. Mm. Like last Tuesday evening, to actually, sorry, last Thursday evening, uh, there was quite a storm coming. Uh, the storm came, was a lot very windy and the trees were moving around. Uh, and uh, I heard there was a lot of damage uh, in, uh, in Melbourne. Uh, due to the storm and um, uh, quite a few trees came down and um, sadly three person lost lost their life uh, from falling trees uh. <clears throat> and I thought maybe the next day I thought maybe there might be some trees that fell down the monastery but I walk around look around I noticed there hardly any trees that collapsed and I was wondering wow how come the trees um, quite resilient, they don't collapse. So I checked in the internet and the internet was saying that plants and trees that grow up in the wild, in places that are quite windy, that move move around a lot, they, be, they become um, uh, what they call resistant to, um, to just the wind moving back and forward and blowing around. So that's the term that they call for that. It's called reactive wood. Or stress wood, so those trees that are living, that are growing up here with um, a lot of wind and storm, uh, they become very resilient uh, to the strong winds. Uh. Yep. So uh, up in Newbury, we are about eight hundred meters above sea level, uh, so we do get get a lot of wind uh, and storms up here. Uh. So the trees here, I notice, uh, um, even if there's a big storm, uh, they hardly um, break or collapse. Uh. Mm. Yep. So that's um, yeah, quite interesting uh, because the Buddhist is saying uh, he gave a good simile uh, to um, just just the way the world is uh, using nature. Uh. So the Buddha say these are the eight worldly conditions or eight worldly winds. Uh. So every human being that are not enlightened uh, or ordering ordinary human being, uh, they are blown by these eight worldly winds and conditions. So as for 
these eights are happiness and suffering. So happiness, suffering, yeah. everyone that is born in this world will always seek for happiness and always try and maintain happiness yeah. and always fear the rise of suffering. Yeah. So they will do whatever is required to gain happiness yeah, and avoid suffering as much as possible. So these are the first two early conditions that we cannot be avoided, that we have to basically learn to endure. And the other, um, third and fourth one is basically fame of being important and being a nobody or losing fame. So we all want to be recognized, we all want to be respected, and we all want to be famous, some of us. And when, when, when we become um, quite well-known or famous, we try and maintain it and uh, try and keep it. And we don't want to be defamed. So, um, so some human beings, people uh, would like to always um, look, seek for recognition and respect uh, from other people. Mm. And try and avoid being um, um, being a nobody. Yeah. It's good for monastic to be a nobody. Yeah. That means we can live a very peaceful life. Yeah. And the fifth and sixth ones are the praise and blame. So we all like to be praised, and we are to, are to we all like to be self worth, and no one like to be blamed too much. Yeah. But sometimes um, when we do something. Right, we get praise, and sometimes when we do something wrong, we get blame, and sometimes even if we don't do anything wrong, we still get um, blame. So praise and blame is something that is always will be there for every human being, in work, in family life, even in monastery, especially in monastery. In monastery, get praise. So when I came here, I was quite um, it was starting of the of this new monastery yeah. so there was a lot of praise but also a bit of blame because it was caused by a lot of controlling what was happening yeah. so um, I came here and stayed and supported this place for five years yeah. so when I went back to the monastery in Perth I got uh, quite a lot of praise but also I got a lot of blame so the blame was coming why am I doing this why am, why am I supporting this monastery I'm just a junior monk and why am I staying around close to um, to nuns? As a monk, you should not be staying too close to nuns. But I think for myself, because this is a new monastery, we're setting this monastery up. And um, because when we look at the master plan, the monks and community will be separated down, down the road in the future. And this year, we basically have separated both community. So the monks and the nuns have our own boundary and community. So those things are working out well, pretty well now. But in the beginning, and we're all staying pretty closer together, but in different dwelling. Mm -hmm. So, praise and blame is quite normal. Even monastic do have it too. And the last two, seven and eight, is gain and loss. So gain and loss, we can see what's happening in the world. Uh, with um, losing our um, freedom, losing our wealth, sometimes sadly losing, losing our business. So um, gain and loss is always a part of life. Even myself, when I was a layperson, I used to run a business. I have my own business and I was working very hard, uh, saving a lot of money to start my 
a business with my friends. Uh, so running it for one and a half years, uh, things wasn't doing so well. Uh, because all new business uh, in the first two years, 50% uh, uh, will do well uh, or don't, don't do well. Uh, yep. So uh, after a year and a half, uh, I decided to, to um, close my business down. Uh, so um, yeah, so I did experience some, um, some, some loss. Uh, so it was a bit heartbreaking, uh, but lucky I managed when um, things are typical. Uh, as a lay person, I went out to the monastery uh, and stayed for two, two weeks. Uh, and that was, I felt a, a lot of um, peace and happiness. Uh, so I decided, okay, I will not go start any business. Uh, I'll go back, find a simple job, work for one year, uh, pay off all my debts, save a bit of money, and go and join the monastery. Mm. Yeah, so these are the eight whirling conditions. Uh, happiness, suffering, fame, defame, or not important, praise, and blame, gain and loss. So these eight whirling conditions uh, it's just, it will blow, uh, blow, blow us around uh, all over the place. Uh, and if we are not grounded in our practice, uh, then we will suffer. Uh. Mm. Yeah. Talking about this eight worldly condition. Uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, I don't really talk much about my own practice, uh, but it might be a good good idea to talk about it. Uh. Yep. So, one reason why I decided to become a Buddhist when I was younger. And later on, become a Buddhist monk. Eh? Was um yeah, I was experiencing a lot of uh, anxiety eh? and depression, eh? yep. and um, a lot of uncertainty. Eh? And I used to have panic attack, um, and um, yeah, got, it got so bad eh? that I got almost got a headache, and it felt like someone was pressing my head all the time, and I wasn't getting much too much sleep. Yep, I think the longest I didn't sleep was about two weeks. Uh, not sleeping proper, probably having anxiety, uh, uh, what's it called, insomnia, insomnia, and anxiety attack. Uh, and um, yeah, so I was only about in my early 20s at that time. So uh, when you're in your 20s, uh, you tend to be quite restless and quite very confused, and also very uncertain. So I used to have my, my hands to shake and tremble quite often. Uh, I noticed by working up in the mines, I was working as a, as a mechanic up in the mines. Sometimes I'll try and keep my hand still, but it will, it will shake and tremble. <laughs> but these days, it does not shake and tremble anymore. Mm. But, but after learning meditation, I realized that as the mind becomes calm and peaceful, then your body becomes relaxed, and a lot of energy to arise. And you also get good circulation. So one main reason why I did meditation, I heard it was good for your health. So uh, yeah, so when I started doing meditation, one of the benefits I found was I got good health, and all my other problems slowly went less and less and disappeared. So I used to have um, headaches, trembling. Uh, when I look at something, my eye, my vision was a bit blurry, and um, yeah, and also I, I get a bit of ringing. I don't have any now. Mm. I used to get it when I was a, yeah, just a lay person. So, um, yeah, I did become a bit sickly. Yeah. Yep. A bit of back pain. Uh, stomach cramp. 
also back pain too stiffness and um, hmm, like pins and needles uh, yes so I was wondering what was going on and uh, basically I was so used to um, suffering so much when I was younger I got so used to the suffering yeah until it reached a point I can't I can't stand anymore I felt like I was going mad going crazy going insane yeah I think one reason was I was working up the mines and that was about oh over 22 years ago so up in the mines you can feel quite lonely quite isolated and um, yeah, I used to work um, two jobs, do one shift up in the mines. After I finish work, then I'll go and work in the um, in the hotel business, uh, do another shift. So it was basically two, two shifts that I work. Uh, so I decided, well, since I'm working in the mines, I'm stuck there. And there's nothing much to do. Uh, I just continue working. So I used to work two jobs uh, just to earn money because I thought, I probably say, well, when you're young, you should work hard le, and get get ahead in life. Uh, so that's what I did. I work hard. <laughs> yeah, so there's a bit of downside working so hard. Le. You can tend to get um, a bit tired and a bit burned out. Le. But also working at, up in the mines, it was quite is isolated because I didn't have too much friends and uh, I was away from families. So after the um, the hotel closed down uh, due to um, some problem uh, with with um, <laughs> with finance finance, I'm not making a profit. Uh, so I was basically just the only job I had was working up in the mines as an apprentice this time. But when I finished my apprentice, I worked as a tradesperson uh, up in the mines. So after a few years, uh, um, it was it was getting to me. Uh, being isolated, being alone, uh, not being with families, uh, not seeing my, my, especially my family, uh, and some of my friends, uh, because most of my friends, as they got older, uh, they went to uh, Perth for the un university study, uh, and so a lot of them end up staying in Perth. Uh, so myself and only my dad was at home. My dad wasn't, um, was, my dad was a very quiet person. Uh, so um, he did not hardly speak to me. So I think one reason um, for that uh, was my grandfather uh, was a very abusive person. Uh, so um, yeah, he was always giving my dad a hard time. And because of that abuse, uh, um, that my dad never learned to um, show love towards myself and my, my brothers. But it's only later on uh, uh, as we got older, uh, my dad became more loving and kind towards my um, yeah. my younger sister, uh, and especially to my nephew now. Uh. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit sad sometimes. If you do live in, um, grew up in a very abusive family, uh, that sometimes people can be conditioned uh, to be a bit cold. Mm -hmm. Because um. I think the abuse and the trauma was pretty intense uh, with my dad, uh, my dad's family. Uh, that um, one of his um, brother passed away uh, due to just having a sickness uh, and was locked up in in a room and um, not 
not careful. And it was my dad's brother was quite young at the time. It was I think twelve years old. And when my grandfather opened to check on his son, he's basically passed away. Yeah, out of some kind of sickness, some kind of growth was growing in his in his, in his neck. Mm. Yeah. So that's one reason why my dad really don't really speak speak, speak to me because he, he did not know, know how to care and love one, one another because of that, having abusive family, a family. But as he got older, now he's a, a bit more kinder and more gentle person. Yeah, so I'm in the mines, I was working there, I wasn't talking to my dad much, he was doing a lot of work and I do spend um, a lot of time in the pub drinking, smoking, fooling around, talking a lot of nonsense with just some of the workers and um, with my friends that I work, work, met in the, in the mines. It wasn't an ideal uh, condition uh, to be growing up as a young person uh, because as in the mind you have to be quite martial and quite tough. Uh. So it actually, after a while, after a few years, uh, it lead to a lot of depression and anxiety uh, and also a lot of um, negative thoughts in my mind. So it was basically driving me a bit insane and crazy. So I decided mm, I need to do something about this this craziness in my mind. So luckily, when way I was working up in the mines, there was a Buddhist community. And during a Vesak celebration, um, I went there just to visit because uh, some of the mine workers uh, was, was Buddhist. So um, yeah, so I went to just visit to see the, how they're going uh, and see what's happening with this Buddhist Buddhist celebration. So it was a Vesak celebration. So we're doing the Vesak celebration to celebrate the the birth of, of, of the Buddha before he was enlightened. And it's when he renounced, when the forest impacts for 60 years and become enlightened, then yeah, then he continued teaching and practicing yeah, uh, all through his life uh, until he died in the age of over 80. I think it was 83. Yeah. So uh, in Vesak, we celebrate the birth, the enlightenment, and also passing away of the Lord Buddha, the parent Nirvana. So I went to that celebration. And it felt very peaceful uh, with the flower, the incense, uh, and the chanting. And I felt a, a sense of peace and serene. So it was quite nice. So that was one of my um, first Buddhist experiences, uh, going to a Buddhist celebration. So I got quite interested. Uh, I told myself, wow, so, so much problem in the world. Uh, maybe the Buddha will have answered uh, for what's happening in my heart. Uh, so I decided to ask one of the um, um, supporters uh, or the committee member at that Buddhist, Buddhist center uh, and I asked him, um, is there any books that I can borrow? Uh, so she showed me um, to the library. So I went in the library uh, and I looked at, there's so many books and it's so thick and some of them are, are basically in Mandarin and um, yeah, but there are some in, in, in English too. Uh, a very thick book. So I went through some of the books, have a look at the title, and I found a simple book. And was the book was, was called um, Good Answer, Good Question. So I bought that book and I took it back and I read it. It's quite interesting. When I read the book, it made a lot of sense. So 
So the the first first thing that I read was basically the four noble truths. Eh? So for I think most people that's on this listening to this watching this dharma, they know what's the four noble truths. Eh? But I'll just say it eh? just in case any new person here. So the first noble truth eh? or these four noble truths eh? is the truth of human life is suffering eh? or dukkha. Eh? So this is something that all human beings eh, have to experience in their life. Eh? And the sec second noble truth, eh, the cause of suffering eh, is because of our attachment eh, and wanting. Eh. So we attach and we want things eh, in our heart and in our mind. Eh. So we're always longing for stuff, mm. wanting things. And, and also the burden of having eh, and also not wanting. Eh. So that's also the suffering that arises in the person's heart. Eh? When we want something, eh? we can't get it. Or when we have something, eh? we don't want it. Eh? That can be anything. Eh? <laughs> even can, it can be work. It can be uh, maybe even sometimes family too. <laughs> and the third noble truth, eh? the end of suffering eh? is basically eh? accept, accept, to accept things eh? and contentment. Eh? So if we can be contented le, and accept what we have le, and be and make peace with it, le, then we can be happy in our heart. Le. Yeah. So the basic the the third noble truth le, is is the end of suffering. Yeah. So the end of suffering. Yeah. Yep. It's also you go deeper. Le, so four noble truths, and the last, and the fourth noble truth, the last of the four noble truths is, is the truth of the path leading to the end of suffering. Yeah, it's basically a full path. Yeah. So yeah. So after that, I got pretty interested like, on this four noble truths. So I really wanted to uh, understand. Basically, I know what Tukka was, was that the first and second uh, experienced my whole life when I was, when I was growing up up to my early 20s. So I really want to understand the uh, third and fourth noble truth, uh, the end of suffering uh, and the path leading to the end of suffering. Uh. So uh, yeah, so I continue reading on. But also the other thing uh, that I read that was quite quite inspiring, that mean a lot to me, uh, was the five moral virtue precepts. Uh. So these five precepts, uh, I first read it, uh, it made a lot of sense uh, and I realized, hmm, Maybe I used to be a, a Buddhist in my past life. Because I always have a view that we should always take care of one another, respect one another, and not to harm one another. Yep. But I saw a lot of my friends messing around and doing a lot of dodgy stuff. And I didn't really want to be a part of that kind of behavior when I was working up in the mines. Yep. So these five precepts for anyone that's quite new, to do Buddhism is basically is to reframe from taking life uh, that is that is basically killing a human king being or killing of any living beings. Uh. Yep. And the second no the second precept uh, is refrain from taking uh, taking what is not given uh, freely. Uh, that is basically not stealing uh. mm. only accepting things that's given or something that we bought. Uh. Mm. Yep. And the third noble truth uh, is 
is not to um, com commit like uh, any misconduct uh, or or something like adult adultery uh, outside uh, a ma being married. Uh. If you're married, you to basically be loyal and keep to the to one partner uh, and not go and have too many affairs. Uh. But I see some of my friends uh, they are married uh, then they end up having divorce because they have an affair with someone. Uh, and it really hurts the um the the family, the kids and the partner. Uh. Yep. So uh, yeah, so we should be basic just have one partner. Uh. And the fifth the fourth precept uh, is restrained from um, wrong speech. Uh. That's mainly lying. Uh, not been making things up uh. or um, even that you also include harsh speech uh, or too much gossip. Uh. Yeah, we should speak truthfully and uh, honestly. Uh. That way we get respect. Uh. Mm. And we don't have to worry what we say. Uh. And the fifth Precept. At that time, when I was working at the mine, I found it was pretty hard because I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a bit. And I did try drugs a bit just to experiment. But as I became a Buddhist, I stopped um, taking drugs and basically um, cut down on um, on drinking as much as possible until I stopped. But what do I expect? I wasn't born a Buddhist, so... When, when I was young, I hang uh, mines uh, up in the mines. I just hang around with bad companies. Uh, and uh, to fit in, uh, I did a lot of silly stuff. Uh, but now I'm, I'm so glad that I came across Buddhism when I was quite young. Yep. So this, this is the fifth precept, basically not taking things, basically not drinking alcohol and not taking any drugs that will cause the, that will cloud uh, the mind and confuse the mind. Uh. But it's quite sad because you look at a lot of um, traffic accidents out there and a large amount was caused by people just getting drunk or even um, taking under the influence of, of um, drugs. A few years ago, there was one young Sri lady that came over here to um, visit one of the, um, the, the junior nuns was ordaining. So it was one of the junior nuns um, and cousin she came all the way from Sarankula to um to study in Melbourne and one time she was crossing the road and basically um she was crossing on on the the crossing the red light crossing and when it turned green so uh, for the for the people crossing the uh the road it was it was green for people to cross so uh, he was crossing when it was, it was fine was clear to cross her, and someone just drove really fast and hit her and killed her on the spot. Yep. And later on, that person was caught and he was basically under the influence of, I think, basically a mixture of alcohol and also drugs. He wasn't aware. So this precept of um, basically not getting wasted with, uh, with um, drinking too much and drugs is very important because it does lead to a lot of harm. Because I remember when I was younger working out of the mines, I used to drink so much yeah, that I used to just get into argument now I say things that wasn't skillful. Yeah. So this this reframing from alcohol yeah, is very difficult yeah, because 
we do live in a culture la, where people drink, do drink a lot. La. But it's always good la, to avoid drinking as much as possible. La. Because I remember when up in the mines, when I stopped drinking, eh, um, I found that I was invited to um, to parties more. La, because I would drive my friends to a party. So um, once the party finished, um, I'll basically just drive them all back back home eh, to um, to their place or their parents' place, eh, drop them off one by one, eh, uh, make sure that they're safe and uh, they're not getting into trouble. Eh. So uh, I'll be of a guardian. Eh. So it's good not not being uh, drinking too much. Eh. That way I can basically take care of myself and take care of my friends. Eh. Yeah, so one thing I was learning when I was a lay, lay Buddhist up in the mines, eh, that the Buddha say, eh, a a out of control mind will lead to a great source of suffering and a well controlled mind will lead to great source of happiness. Oh that was quite interesting. As I read that I go, wow, that's great pretty good. So basically I just got into more studies and learned more about um the Buddhist concept and practice. One thing I learned was basically loving kindness and mindfulness. So so to overcome greed and hatred la, is to develop loving kindness and contentment. So up in the minds, so every day I wake up and I practice loving kindness. I just be kind to myself, to kind to other people, la, to kind to every moment. La. Because that time I was just experimenting yeah, with, with spiritual practice. La. So I was so desperate la, to try and overcome my mental state. La. So I'll try anything. Yeah. That was possible eh, to see what works. Eh. So the more I practice loving kindness, the more I'm kind to people, the more I'm more respectful to people at work, um, in the workplace, um, even at work, just see my friends. And sometimes my friends will also ask me to hang out. Then I'll basically just, just avoid hanging out with them as much as possible if I'm invited eh, to um, hang out in the um the pub drinking and stuff, eh? I'll basically just, just try and avoid drinking and just have maybe a glass of orange juice and coke eh? <laughs> and just have a nice chat. Eh? And I find most of the time just end up just listening to them. Yeah. So I, I won't try not to uh, um, basically entertain and join in, in the, into the whinging and complaining. Yeah? But I realized it wasn't a good state of mind for me. Yeah? But later on, I found that I started to avoid um, hang out with my friends, uh, I'm in the pub, uh, and just spend more time by myself. Yep, so I practice loving kindness and contentment for probably a few months. Uh, and after a while of practicing that, uh, I find that uh, my anxiety and depression become less and less. Yep, I become more happier, uh, because I'm developing more happiness in my heart uh, and in my mind. And um, yeah, so I continue going down to the Buddhist center uh, just to support, uh, to learn. Uh, and to um, basically um, lend a hand um, with anything, any work at, or chores in, in the Buddhist center uh, at that time. And one of the members asked me if I wanted to learn meditation. And I said, well, okay, I'll give this a try. Uh. So uh, she gave me a set of tapes uh, to, um, to learn. So this set of tapes uh, was given by uh, our well, no, Archon Brown. So Archon Brown was, was, was in those Dharma talks. 
But he came to um, Christmas Island once, uh, and he gave some teaching uh, over there. Uh. That was way, way before he was famous. Uh. So some of the teaching, early teaching, was re recorded uh, on tape. Uh. So I started to le listen to the tape. Uh. I think there's about roughly um, six tapes uh, just on Buddhist practice, Buddhist armor, and Buddhist meditation. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so one thing that Ashram Brown says that meditation uh, is like um, good food uh, or good exercise uh, for the mind. So, uh, if you practice meditation as much as possible, uh, then it will lead to a happy and peaceful mind. So, I go, mm, that sounds great. So, yeah, so I practiced that. But also, I heard it was good for health too. Mm. So when I first started meditation up in the mind, the first time I sit down, close my eye, scan my body, relax my body, and stay with breath, it was so peaceful and so calm. I felt a lot of happiness and freedom. Yeah, the first time I sat down and meditated after listening to Ashley Brown's Dharma talk, it was so nice. I, was, I, was, I never felt so much peace, happiness and freedom. Almost my whole life, yep. Since I was born, until I start learning meditation after listening to Ashen Brown's Dharma talk and and guided meditation, so I was basically straight away I was hooked to meditation. Mm. So I spent a lot of time basically just being by myself up in the mines and just um, spend a lot of time driving, staying, going, walking in the forest, and um, practicing meditation. Yep, alone. My, I was still living with my dad at the time, but we don't speak to one another so much. Maybe my dad might say one or two words to me once a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it almost felt like I was, I was quite alone. Mm -hmm. Because also my dad and I work. work uh, sometimes my dad worked different shifts. Uh, so I go to work, I come back, and my dad will, will go to work. Uh. So when my dad come back, then I'll go to work. So almost I don't see him. Yeah. I think one of the nicest time I have practicing as a Buddhist, practicing meditation was up in the mines because I didn't get involved with too much with my friends. And the mind was very peaceful. At that time, we didn't have a lot of internet. So I, sometimes I call my mom. I call my brothers up, uh, maybe a few times a week. Yeah. But there was a lot of time by myself, alone. Yeah. So all my spare time after work, yeah, I just do a lot of um, Dharma studies and also Dharma practice. Yeah. And my spare time, I go out to the local uh, Buddhist temple to help out. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so that's my early times when I was practicing as a um, lay Buddhist for roughly 11 years. Mm. So after, when the mind was basically restructured, uh, my dad took redundancy and he left the mines and I stayed on for like another four years. And after four years, they, uh, they offer a second round of redundancy. So I took the redundancy and I left, left the mines and I moved down to Perth to stay with my family. That was nice to see my family. I mean, there was a lot of things to do, going out with my friends and my family, going to the movies, um, going out to the restaurant, going sightseeing, um, going shopping, 
there was a lot, lot of entertainment uh, and a lot of things to do in Perth, yeah. especially coming from the mines. Uh. I also grew up on the mines on Christmas Island, so I was the Chris Islander. Mm. Yep. I mean, the good thing about growing up on Chris Island uh, is a very safe environment. You feel very protective. And it's a small community, so people tend to care for one another. But you see, as the kids grow up, most of the kids and some of the parents will move down to Perth because the kids will go down there to do high study in high school and university. And most of the kids, when they grow up, they decide to stay on um, up, up in, in mainland Perth. But myself, because I was pretty hopeless in my study, I decided, okay, I'm not going to manage uh, to um, find a good job in Perth. Uh, so I decided, okay, I'll take an apprenticeship. Uh, and I did go apprenticeship up in the mines. Uh, so I went, so I, I was in Perth for a short while. Uh, then I went back to, to the mines to uh, continue my, my practice. Uh, mm, I mean, my apprenticeship uh, before I become a practice monastic. Uh, but that was before I moved down to Perth. Uh, mm. Yeah, so going down to Perth was quite interesting uh, because um, yeah, there was a lot of um, entertainment. Nah. There's a lot more things to do. Nah. But one thing I, I found was it was harder to meditate because my mind was more busier. Nah. So the only time that I could meditate nah, was um, maybe after work in the weekend. And um, even when I sit down and meditate, my mind will be all over the place. Nah. We're always thinking of things to do. Nah. Yep. Because at the time I was still quite young, uh, in my um, yeah, in my late twenties, uh, when I moved down to Perth. Yeah. So I'll go up to the to the monastery uh, or to the uh, Buddhist society of Western Australia uh, to listen to Ashraman Dharma talk or to, for the uh, group meditation. Uh, and some weekends I go out to the monastery uh, to offer dana to the monks and to spend the half a day there uh, just to sit and meditate. Uh, and enjoy the quiet environment, uh, the serene environment of the monastery. Mm. I did ask my parents uh, if I can ordain as a monastic. When I was younger, when I first became a Buddhist, um, about 30, when I was 20, 23, yeah. and my parents, first my, my parents said, no, you cannot go and join the monastery. I said, oh, okay, so I'll wait, yeah. so I'll wait for another 10 years, it ended up to be 11 years, then I asked my parents if I can join the monastery after 11 years, and my parents said, no, another 10 years, so I go, what, another 10 years, I'll say, okay, I'll wait for another 10 years, and I say, after 10 years, can I still join the monastery, and my parents made the mistake of saying, no, even after 10 years, you can't join the monastery, not until they pass away. So I told to myself, that's not fair. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and join the monastery. So the second time I asked, luckily I asked and my parents said no. If not, I would not have joined the monastery. Yep. In that case, I would have joined the monastery just a few years ago. Yeah. So, hmm. so I ordained in Bodhiyama Monastery. Yeah. When did I ordain? It was quite a lot. That was about 12 years ago. 
so I went to Bodhiyana Monastery in 2008 and I ordained as a monastic in well, 2009 yep. so coming to the monastery to start the monastic training was quite difficult it, it felt like working up in the mines again because you're mainly staying with many men and um, yeah and in the monastery when they first starting up uh, everyone half the community was basically training trainees uh, in training for five years so it was a lot of um, difficulty uh, that we have to learn to um, basically um, practice and endure so um, being being away from families was quite difficult so the Buddhists say there are three things very difficult to um, to practice as a monastic. So the first the first thing was basically leaving the world. So when we leave the world, uh, we leave our family, our possession, and uh, our status status behind. And when we join the monastery, we have to learn to give all this up, to wear the robe, to uh, practice first the um, the eight precept as a trainee, as an anagarika trainee, a person in white. Then when you ordain as an office, then you keep the ten precepts. So the ten precepts is basically not the extra two is basically not handling money or controlling money. Then when you ordain as a full monastic, you practice the two hundred and twenty seven monastic training rules of precept. So when you first start that it is very hard. And you spend a lot of time by yourself, uh, and sometimes in the early days, as a monastic, uh, I used to think of my family a lot, uh, and, and the friends that I have, uh, and just adjust to just living very simply, uh, and I'm um, not getting too involved. Uh. Mm. Yep. So, um, yeah. So leaving the world, the Buddha say this is one of the one of the hardest thing to do, uh. and the second hardest thing to do, uh, is to live happily. As a monastic in Robla. Yep. So after five years staying in the monastery, you tend to um, learn about yourself more. Um, then your meditation improve. Then the uh, the restless mind also calms down. Then you learn to uh, accept other people in the monastery. Then you learn to accept the um, just the chaos in the mind, because when you first ordain as a monastic. You feel like you've been caged up in 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 a cage. Uh, you can't go out too much. You can't go and visit your friends. Your friends will come and visit you in the monastery, but hardly my friends can visit me. I'm also a bit sad too. I'm not even my family. They hardly come and see me. They even come and see me maybe once or twice a year. Yeah. But luckily now, uh, my my um my older brother. Is um, married to um, to his wife, and his wife is is the on, only Buddhist uh, in the family, uh, other than me. Uh. So so my brother uh, and and my my sister-in-law will come and visit me quite often in the monastery, uh, because my my sister-in-law is a practicing Buddhist. Uh. Mm. But also we have more branch monasteries around the place, and uh, one on the branch monastery is close to my brother's place, uh, so I get to see my 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 family quite often uh, when I go back to Perth. Uh. Mm. 
yeah, so living happily in monastic life is not is one of the also the second hardest thing because we learn to um basically learn to be content, practice loving kindness and um just learning to um live very simply. Yeah. I have a lot of time been been isolated or been alone, living as a hermit. Spend a lot of time just practicing, meditating. The Buddha said, the third hard, hardest thing to do in monastic life is basically to develop the um, the higher virtue. The um, to develop the, the higher, um, we say, meditation and samadhi, yeah, that leads to um, the higher wisdom. So these are the, the third is the hardest thing to do, to develop as a monastic life. So basically, to put everything in place, uh, is basically sila, samadhi, and panyala. So sila is a higher virtue, samadhi is a higher mind, higher mind or higher meditation and panya is wisdom higher wisdom that leads to happiness freedom bliss and enlightenment so this that's these are the the three hardest things to develop as a monastic yeah so i've been been a monastic for roughly about 12 years now it's been quite good and quite worth it and sometimes I go, I call back home, and my mom tell me, "Oh, I should come back home, and um, don't stay as a monk." And I thought, I thought I'd tell my mom, "Look, the world is so chaotic. Why go back home?" Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's good being being a monastic now. I think when I first practiced as a um, as a uh, lay person, as, as a Buddhist, I just find that most of my health problem really improve. And when I practice as a monastic now, it even got better. I hardly get sick. Uh, my hand don't tremble anymore. My hearing is all perfect. My eyesight was pretty good. Yeah, but it improved. But now as I get older, it's quite good. But sometimes I notice um, I have to like concentrate on, on things a bit more. Because as I get older, I think my eyesight is not as good as it used to be. But it used to be worse than when I was younger. Yeah, but also because of the suffering arises as a monastic, because the, the self and the ego always want to be exist. That's why the concept of non-self or anatta is so important. The more we sit meditation, the more we practice, the more we calm the mind, the more we don't react to our feeling, thoughts and, thoughts and emotion, the more we calm things, uh, the more we allow the I and the self to slowly calm and disappear, then we can understand the, the, the concept of non-self or anatta, because the self is, is the thing that's driving the, um, the greed, hatred and delusion and restlessness, worry, discontent and anxiety in, in, in our heart. So being alone, up in, up in the minds, that came out a lot very strongly. And the second time that it came out was basically when I was first ordained as a monastic. But now, as I've been a monk for quite a long time now, over 10 years, you tend to understand the heart and the mind more clearly and learn to let things go.
especially the suffering part of the of the practice. Mm. Mm. Oh, anyways, it's ten o'clock. Eh? So, is there any questions? Yes, Bhante, we have two questions. Yes. But before I start with a question, perhaps just a comment I thought maybe it's yes. worth mentioning. Uh, one of listeners basically said, thank you very much for speaking so openly and sharing about your life um, with the audience. No, you, you're, you're welcome. I mean, it's a lot. I do get a lot of questions. One question that people ask me a lot is, why, be, why did I become a monastic and uh, why I become a Buddhist? And the main reason was because I was suffering a lot. Le. I was basically going crazy. Sometimes even have suicidal thoughts. And I was wondering why am I I'm thinking that way. Because I was just conditioned to the worldly, worldly way of life. I was just following the defilements. So when I start following my defilements and developing spiritual practice, then I become happier. Because looking, practicing the heart and the mind, the leads to happiness and peace. Okay, uh, first question. Yes. Can Bhante right. explain the Buddha's definition of dukkha? Dukkha, okay, so dukkha is basically suffering. Dukkha, dukkha is very, very broad. So to put things in, in a nutshell, is it's basically our craving and our attachment. So we, we, we crave and we long for things that we want. And when things that we can't get, we suffer. So the eight worldly winds will basically explain why suffering is arising. Because we think that we can control the, the, the world and we can control our life. But you look at things, everything is impermanent and things are always changing. Things arise, things pass away. Um, pass away yeah. so you see our friends our family they they appear and when they are born they get old they get sick and they pass away and when that happens it's quite sad and it's quite depressing our friends our partner our loved ones one moment they'll be very kind and loving then the next moment, after a few things change, they become very aggressive, very violent, and very negative. I see friends of mine. It's quite interesting. When, when I was working up the mines, a lot of my friends were saying that they're so lonely and they're so depressed. They don't have a partner. And I go, well, okay, no worries. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. If, if, if they're interested in someone, I go, you first. I'm happy to be single. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but they're always complaining eh, that they're single eh, and lonely. Eh. Then later on, when they're married, eh, they're still complaining. Eh. Because being, being a Buddhist, eh, I, I tend to listen to my friend a lot eh, and just help them out. Eh. And they, they go, oh, since they're married, they say they have no time. Eh. They're just working non stop. Eh. And the wife or the partner or the husband is nagging. Eh. And this is no time to work, 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 paying debts, uh, buying a house, uh, just working to, um, to um, basically take care of the family. Uh. So I saw it was suffering when they're single, uh, then suffering when they're married. Uh. And some of my friends even like married twice or divorced twice. Uh. 
Yeah. So suffering arises when we we cannot we cannot we are asking asking from life in the world and we cannot get what what world in the life will not give us and we can we will not fulfill our wants and needs. Yep. So basically Ajahn Brahm is saying it's asking from the world what it cannot give. Especially in this time of turmoil with the coronavirus. Yeah, a lot of people are basically suffering. But as a, to, but as a Buddhist, we to learn to understand suffering. He calls when he arise and also when he sees. Basically, cause and condition or karma. Mm -hmm. So when we understand the rise of suffering and the end of suffering, that leads to peace and happiness, then wisdom arises. Hope that answers your questions. I have been suffering from emotional abuse at work, mm. but I can't quit my job. Oh. I feel just like you described yes. anxious, depressed. Mm. So, how can I be kind to these people mm. without letting them abuse me? Oh, it's very difficult. I mean, I think even myself, when I was. Um, working as a layperson in different jobs. I was abused, yell and, and shout at, put down in shame, and mainly because I, I wasn't like them. But some places where I work, uh, people just make fun of me all the time because my English is not that... I make my English improve now, but I just, I mean, I was born in Malaysia, so I have a, a Malaysian accent, and sometimes my, my English and writing is not that, not that perfect. So people like to make fun of me because I'm not a very smart person. And uh, they will basically push me around and abuse me. I mean, don't hit, like, not like hitting me, but use verbal abuse. So it's very really hard to, to deal with it. Yep. Especially up in the mines. Yep. So they, they call me a lot of funny names. Jeez. <laughs> those, are, those are the friends I associate with. But the Buddha say, yeah, sometimes it's always good to not to associate with, with fools and to associate with the wise, because that is basically the highest blessing. So, um, so I started avoiding the fools and associating with good people, Buddhists, and later on Buddhist monks and nuns. Yes. Yeah, so that actually made me happier. When I became more happier, then, um, then at work it was a bit more easier to avoid the nonsense from from my work college. They'll make fun of me, but I just, just okay, just don't get too, don't allow the words to hurt my heart. Because when you practice as a, as a Buddhist, you're mindful of your thoughts. So when the really bad, disgusting words come out, just allow it to go in and let it go out. And don't hold it in your heart. So when you let it go, then it won't affect you. So that's why meditation is very important. When you calm your mind, you calm your heart. The hurt does not repeat in the mind as an echo over and over again. Then we're free. Then we learn to forgive other people. But the reason why people are so aggressive is because they're hurting inside. They're hurting a lot. There's one thing I realized up in the minds because people are so unhappy. The mind used to have a very high suicide rate because a lot of depression. 
and sometimes the, the suicide do happen. Eh? Is when people when the people when the men go and work up in the mines, they work so hard, they go back, they give everything to the family, house, property, and later on they go to work. Then they find later on the, the wife file a divorce eh? because they're not spending too much time at home. And sometimes the workers get so disheartened eh? and so upset. Eh? Basically, they commit suicide. Eh? So it's quite sad. Eh? So that do happen up in the mines. Yeah. So that's one reason why I was single. <laughs> I didn't choose to look for a partner. But at that time I was very happy yeah, being by myself and practicing as, as, a, as a monastic. Because I was getting quite depressed and I don't want another burden of having a family or wife to care for and look after. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does happen to both gender, even to male and female. Because sometimes we have um, some ladies that work up in the mines that work very, very hard. And uh, yeah, and when things don't go wrong, uh, they feel quite hurt. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so um, yeah, to be careful. It's not easy. Even when I first joined the monastery, yeah, um, some of the monastic I have to deal with, uh, well, some of them are really aggressive uh, because sometimes they come in to the monastery carrying their baggage. Yeah? And I was still a, a novice and junior monk, sir. so some of them would pick on me yeah, and uh, get me to do stuff, to clean things up, yeah, and uh, to just make fun of me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I feel quite hurt. Yeah. And I uh, asked Archim Brown, yeah, I said, how come the monastic are so aggressive? And Archim Brown say, told me, it's okay. Look, not everyone is enlightened. Yeah. And this is a training monastery. So you just learn to develop loving kindness towards them. I go, oh, okay, that's true. It's just almost just, just up like up at the mind again. So um yeah, so I just just really just take care of my heart and just generate a lot a lot of loving kindness uh, towards other monastic uh, in the community. So sometimes some monastic they do a join ordain the ordain as a monastic uh, because they're a bit fed up with life uh, and they go they, they come from sometimes they have very abusive uh, family and partners. Uh, and they're having a very hard time. So the monastery is a place for them to come and practice and become free. But sometimes when you join the monastery, you end up living a lot of men. When you live a lot of men, because up in Bodhiyan Monastery, we have up to about 20 to 30 men. And when you have that many men together, or monastic, it can be quite aggressive and very competitive. So it felt like up in the mines again. <laughs> but not all, not all monastic are like that. And if they don't disrobe uh, and, and end up practicing for like five or ten years, uh, they become very good and very inspiring monastic. Uh. So you look at some of the like Ajahn Brown, Ajahn Bamali, Ajahn Api, Ajahn Sangharatana, Ajahn Chittapalo. Ajahn Chittapalo is here too. He's been enrolled for 22 years. Uh. So I, I know him for 10 years and he has mellowed a lot. Uh. And uh, yeah. And I used to be a little bit afraid of, of him, <laughs> but uh, later on, uh, um, we, can, we, we, we became very, very good friends uh, because um, I, I saw a lot of kindness in his heart. Uh, yes, because being, being, being from a German background, uh, he was quite direct uh, at, at things in the monastery. Uh, so I was just a little bit careful around him as a novice, uh, but as I... Um, Stay in Rome longer. La. Later on, I get to know him. He, he actually, actually become a good friend. La. And I realize he's, 
when you get to know him a long, quite a long time, you realize he's a very kind and gentle person in 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 his heart. Thank you. No, no further questions. No other questions. Okay. Hmm. Well, anyway, normally I like to tell stories, but I didn't tell any stories. Sorry, this this time. But something just came on my mind. Yeah, sometimes with the difficulties in lay life, it can be very hard and overwhelming. Yep, and I was always looking for stories on the internet. Sometimes I find some, some really nice stories. So I, I, I found a story on this old, old man. Like, so I look at one old man. Both, all three of them live over the age of 110. And uh, one was an African-American, African-American in America. One was a uh, Indonesian guy in Indonesia. And one was a Turkish old man in Turkey. And both of them would live over the age of 110. And, and the re reporter will ask, like, three of these men, why? What's the secret living a long old life? And one thing I noticed on the documentary, yeah, three of them were smoking nonstop. <laughs> Jeez, but we don't recommend smoking. So I said, wow, so is it a secret? No, it's not a secret. But one thing that struck me was they were happy yeah, and basically carefree. They're very positive. And it, they live life by the moment, day to day. Yeah. And they say, whatever happened in life, don't care. Don't worry too much. Don't have a carefree mind. Don't um, concern with too many things uh, in life. Uh. So just have a positive mind. Uh, should be a automatic, um, not a pessimistic, automotive. And yeah, so have a positive mind. And they're very active and they surrounded with good, happy people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so when you have a, a mind with this carefree and happy, yeah, then you, you tend not to worry too much and stress too much. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, this great example of, of these three old men, um, they live over age of 110 years old. Yeah. They're happy all the time, laughing, joking, joking around, Got quite active, but also I noticed you're smoking a lot too. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so happy life and long a health has basically been positive mind, have a positive nature attitude to life. Mm. Yeah, I mean I do suffer time to time. Yep, I admit I'm not I'm I'm not fully enlightened. So there is defilements that arise in my heart time to time. So yeah, so one thing I can recall is one time in the monastery, because I was a mechanic up in the monastery. So I used to um, basically fix a lot of cars up in the mines. So when I went moved to the monastery, one of my jobs was basically uh, fixing cars. So we have a fleet of eight vehicles. These are, most of the vehicles are donated to the monastery. So we use it as a fire truck, as a um, trade work vehicle. Um, Three transport vehicles, so we're giving a lot of um, vehicles uh, donated to the monastery. 
So we, my job was to fix up all this old bomb and just keep it going. <laughs> because when someone offers a dana, uh, we try and keep it for at least one or two years or a few years. And just because um, most of the maintenance is done by me. So we keep it quite well maintained and um, keep, the, keep the cost down on the running costs. So um, yeah, so fixing vehicles are quite quite challenging. Uh, but sometimes um, they get, every two years, uh, they get damaged quite often. Yeah, sometimes major crash. Uh, but one time, one year was pretty bad. Uh, so a car was donated to the monastery. Uh, so I basically, um, so taking, out, taking care of the vehicle, it got smashed at the front. So I go, okay, so it's good to learn some panel beating job. Uh, so I took out the, the bumper, I panel beat the, 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 uh, the bumper and the, and the side fender, make it straight, paint it a bit, then okay, done. So it's, it's, it's just a month where we got it, like it got hit in the front. Uh. Then um, two weeks later, like, it got smashed, smashed at the back. Uh. I go, oh, okay, no worries. Uh. So it's okay, that's a mistake. Uh. So I took out the back bumper uh, and just heat out everything, uh, make it nice and flat uh, and straight again uh, and curve uh, so it looked nicer. Uh put it back together. Then, uh, then I went to India for pilgrimage. Then I came back, uh, look around, check this, the vehicle. Then, guess what I found? I, I found it was damaged a third time. Then I basically lost it. I said, those, those monastery, uh, any drivers, they're so hopeless. They can't drive it. They don't respect the vehicle. Then I just noticed I was just complaining. I go tell them off. And I just realized, I become very negative, yep. and once I become negative, I feel like you feel a bit of pain in the back or tension in the stomach, and I realize, oh, okay, I need to stop complaining, stop whinging. I just fix the car, okay, so I just stop complaining, just fix out the car at a time. Yep, so yeah, so difficulty things do arise. And um, yeah, going to India for the pilgrimage. One time I, I found myself complaining a lot too. Because when you go from one place to a place, to another place, the, the bus ride can be at four hours, sometimes even six hours. And when you're stuck in the bus, um, it's tired, you're tired, it's hot. Um, half the people might be sick in the mon in the bus, <laughs> coughing nonstop. And sometimes you have monks are giving a Dharma talk. And some, there was this monk that's giving a Dharma talk. He was talking about um, some kind of um, thing that was so boring. And I was complaining. The more I complained, the more um, upset I became. Then I felt a crap in my stomach. I go, oh no, jeez. I guess I, I, go, I need to go to the toilet. Maybe I might have diarrhea, but we're still driving in the middle of nowhere. And the more I complained, the the pain in my stomach got, got worse and worse. And I, I felt a bit more, more sicker and sicker. And I caught myself complaining. I go, oh, look, I'm complaining too much. I need to stop complaining. And as soon as I stop complaining, become more contented, uh, become more accepting of the, the that monk that's giving a really boring, boring Dharma talk in the bus. The more I just accept things, that's what's happening. Be more kind of myself. Then I notice the pain just become less and less and less and disappear. So yeah, then I realized this complaining minor, negative minor is, is quite, it really affect 
my mental health uh, and also uh, my body uh, yeah so it's quite important uh. so i do have anxiety arise sometimes uh. i think the last time they arise uh, was only for a short moment uh. so i lost the key uh, and not any key i lost the master key uh, to the um to the sangha house and to the kuti uh. and i went around the whole place looking for it uh, for like 20 minutes uh, and i felt uh, this pain from my back just arising uh, because I'm having a, a uh, almost like anxiety attack. Le. I go, oh, no, no, this is, this is no good. Le. So I stop. I say, okay, okay, it's not too bad. Le. It, will, it will turn up. Le. Then when I walk out the door, I saw the key was, was in the lock. I was going, oh, good. Lack of mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, so it's not as bad as before. It does arise from time to time. And um, yeah, so this eight worldly winds, it, it affects a lot of us. <laughs> it's funny because um, it's funny and not funny. Every year before coming to Newbury to visit, I usually go and visit my family before coming over to Newbury to support Newbury and BSC. And when I came over to visit my family, my, my mom was very happy to see me. So I came over, came home for three days. So the first day I arrived, my mom was there. She was very happy, very happy to see me. Um, yep. So we have a quick chat. And my mom told me that uh, your grandfather is, is um, getting quite sick. Uh, and he's got cancer. Uh, he might not make it. Uh. I told my mom, oh, okay. You know, well, we see what happened. And my mom said, no worries. She'll, she'll give, give, my, give um, her family a call in Malaysia. Uh. So I went to my room. I rest. I unpacked my stuff. Uh. Then, I think one or two hours later, I heard my mom crying uh, very sadly. Uh. So I go, oh, oh no, I, I, I guess my grandfather passed away. Uh. Yep. Yeah, so things change very fast. Uh. One moment, everyone's very happy. Then, then the next moment, everyone is quite sad. Uh. But it was good. I was there. Uh. So I was there to just be my mom, have a chat with her. Uh. It's quite funny uh, when I went back home. Uh. Mm. Okay, so yeah, so I hope that Dharma talk wasn't too boring, and please forgive me yeah, for uh, for giving a bad or boring Dharma talk, yeah. and please forgive me yeah, if, if my accent accent nah, or my pronunciation was not it's not that good. There you go. I make peace with myself. Yeah. Okay, so we finish.